interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. I'd love to just have a just free-for-all discussion here for a bit and then we can see what we do. So I'd love to hear back from you all. I've thrown out an awful lot in your laps uh, without giving you a chance to say anything back. So over to you all. Yeah. So You're stretching things to do that. That's a good question, though, because I, I, they're really mushy words. That's the problem. So you have to define what you do mean, and not be too uppity if people disagree with your definition. <laughs> so, so I, I see optimism and pessimism as wildly all-encompassing generic words about. Um, just general uh, hope that things will go well or that things are fine and okay and is an optimist. The way I've used it actually myself is, is more saying is saying a, a predisposition internally to say everything's okay. An optimist is someone who's just predisposed. A pessimist is predisposed to say everything's not okay. Murphy's Law triumphs. You know, what goes wrong will go wrong. Uh, it will rain on your picnic uh, even three weeks down the road, uh, three weeks, I know it will rain because it always rains during picnics. Uh, that's a pessimist. Um, a cynic, and, and I, what I've, you see I've defined sentimentality in, in fairly as separate I- I- ingredients. Um, a, c- a cynic, I, I'm going to, and I'll talk about this later in this afternoon, is not just a generic pessimist, but is, has a very focused pessimism on other people's, other people's motivations. Cynic sees through all sorts of positive motivations. He's no, no, no. That's not what's really going on. They're phony. Uh, so, uh, cynicism is a narrowly focused pessimism. And in a certain way, um, sentimentality isn't just... It, the first element is sort of optimistic in the sense of no evil. But the second two are not necessarily associated with optimism, necessarily. Uh, I know all sorts of optimistic people who are utopians and are not at all, they're totally involved in uh, changing the world. It's not just they're not stuck inside of a referential world, self-referential world, but they're out changing the world and they think they're going to do it. And, and so uh, their optimism carries a, a, a huge political agenda, uh, which is very out there and, and uh, aggressive. So uh, I think... Cynicism within optimism is is a is not going to last long. Uh, uh, sentimentality in pessimism isn't going to last long. But there are elements that will that will bounce back and forth. Is that any? Yeah, it, it, there are a lot of words, big words like that, that it's it's helpful to know how we how we see them interacting. But that's the way I do them. Optimism, pessimism, be very very broad, generic words, and. Uh, 
sentimentality and cynicism more within those. And there's a bunch of other words too that are all uh, take up bits and pieces of place. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And sentimentality comes into development a lot because people who get into development do tend sometimes to be sentimentalists, and you're saying that there are people who are optimists or utopians. I think a lot of them are also sentimentalists. And one of the things we run into is people will go out saying, I'm going to change the world, but they think that once they understand the problem, it will fix itself. We're Americans. Give us a break. That's the way things work in America. We fix things. Yeah. You get a lot of burnout. You get a lot of people giving up and saying, well, the UN doesn't work because the UN's purpose doesn't seem to be working. And the UN's purpose is to understand the problems and then tell people, here's the problem and here's how it happened. Yeah. And somehow that doesn't fix things. Yeah. But you, in terms of the categories I've talked about here, I think what you're describing is people with the first element of sentimentality, mm-hmm. evil trivialized. We can, we can lick this problem. Yeah, we know how to solve problems. Uh, but not the self-referential. They're, they're out of their own heads. They're trying to change the world or, and not, not the non-action. So, so I think. Yeah, that may be true, yeah. That may be. Yeah. That may not be the long-term people in it. That may be the shorter-term people in it. But I think, I think a lot of, well, you may be right. Obviously, it's, it's, it's certainly possible. But, but at least they're in action mode mm-hmm. rather than in, in uh, just reflection mode. Yes. We just had a lot of people lecture for us somehow with how, how much damage you can do by giving people money. Yeah. You know, how much damage you can do to the people by giving them money. Oh, it's just so discouraging. It's a, but people in, in all sorts of... Uh, we actually one lecture guy speak for us is it possible to do short-term missions and do more good than harm? And he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't trashing it entirely, but he was giving a pretty rough picture on short-term mission. And then that we really have to ask ourselves, what are we doing in these mission trips? What, what is really, and so many people, Christians are doing it, we're doing it for our young people, because it, it, there's so much, it makes them, it'll be one thing that makes them serious people for all the, all the media exposure they're stuck in in America. You get them to, to another country that's really just send them as far as Haiti for crying out loud for two weeks and they come back and they're more serious people. <sighs> yeah, but <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, there there really is a self-reference thing there, and and, uh, and that but that's really hard to untangle. I think in terms of knowing your own mind, knowing your own integrity, it's not a not an easy thing to uh, to unpack. Yeah. Any other? Yes. Yeah, so you certainly painted uh, both cynicism and sentimentality as there's no room for them in our Christian walks. Would you go so far as to say that they are wrong in and of themselves? As I've described them, yes. Okay. Uh, but I'm certainly not <clears throat> saying that strong emotion is bad. I'm, ju- uh, I'm just saying denial of evil is bad if there's evil that's there. It shouldn't be denied. <clears throat> so hinging on the, the self-referential <coughs> Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a good, really good question because that gets very uh, nuanced. I think uh, uh, very fast. Uh, 
I guess what I'm you you can't love another person without and, and be completely disregarding what how that relationship makes you feel. That's to me unrealistic. But if the relationship is dominated just by how it makes you feel, and not really when you go home for for a holiday, really invest in the other people in your family and really care for them, then that's not sentimental in the way I've defined it. And, and the fact that you should feel good after the end of that holiday and say, this was an awesome time, a wonderful Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, uh, that's not bad, uh, that you enjoyed it. But, but uh, if it's only... I guess what I'm driving at is if it's only your own feelings that are, that are part of it, but it's unrealistic to think that you, your own sense of your own emotions have no part to play. That's, I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, yeah, and, and I think we, we're, we're, uh, what God calls us to is not something completely unrealistic at all, is if we didn't have feelings of needing to be affirmed ourselves, feelings of needing love ourselves, we do. And, and uh, that's not bad. That's the way he's made us. Uh, but if that's all we get in, we don't, and we don't uh, allow ourselves to reach out. I mean, the one, I guess w- the wonderful prayer of St. Francis that many of you know, I'm sure already, but just the last little bit of it. Uh, you know, Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. That's a very unself-referential prayer. That I'm, what I'm, I'm not asking to be loved, but to love. I'm not to, asked to console, not to be consoled. That needs to be, the, I think, the main uh, focus. Unless, of course, you know, here again, we have to say sometimes I really need cons- consolation. I am in trouble. I need help. I need someone to put his hand on my shoulder and sit me down and and really care for me. And that, that, that doesn't knock that out either, because I think sometimes we're, we're, to be realistic about how we feel, we need help. We need encouragement. We need um, uh, love. So, so uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, because it, otherwise it can, sign, it can feel like we're meant to be just wooden givers of love and, and uh, little tin soldiers who distribute love and blessing to the world but never feel anything themselves, or if they do, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because that, that's a good point, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so you talked a little bit about um, trying to avoid having fake feelings or manufacturing feelings for ourselves um, just because we think that they need to fit the situation in some way, or we've been told that. Um, on the other hand, um, are feelings or emotions ever um, more right or wrong in that we should have Certain feelings about something. You know, or, and, and if that is the case, should we be doing something to try to get true feelings about a certain? Yeah. Wow, that's a huge one. <clears throat> and I'm over my head very fast <laughs> in that. But it's interesting to me that <clears throat> I think it's very hard to find in the Bible any commandment that tells you to feel something. Only. The target's just feeling. Um, we're meant to love other people. That certainly includes feeling. But that isn't only feeling at all. I mean, even love your enemies. Those are people who are defined by very likely you having no f- positive feelings toward. Um, and and uh, so, 
I think it's God's recognition that our feelings are not in our direct control. So you can't say, okay, I'll feel this or I'll feel that. We, most of us, or at least maybe not any of us, can just will to feel certain things. Uh, we can will to do all kinds of stuff. We can't will to feel it, uh, one thing or another. But so, so your feelings are more byproducts of a lot of a lot of el- else that's going on in your life. But and so, feelings be an indication that you should be doing something different because they're not appropriate. Sure, sure, and and, and uh, you know I think feelings of guilt or shame or or compassion. Uh, are, are are there to, to motivate us, to, to move us. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that if we do the things that he tells us to do in terms of our honesty, in terms of obedience, where we can obey him, we are much more likely to have the feelings that we ought to have as the byproducts of the Christian life. Of I see sort of <clears throat> three sides of a pyramid of Jesus... Direct teaching, like for example, in the Beatitudes of what you're meant to aspire to, what sort of person you're meant to be. His example in the imitation of Christ, which is, if you look at the New Testament, he's telling us about six things to look for in him and in other people who are doing them. Their humility, love, service, suffering unjustly, um, courage. There's one more, I think, I can't remember. But, but, but uh, look, where Jesus is saying, look at these things that I do, or as I do them to you, and make them your own. Imitate that. And then Paul says, insofar as I imitate Christ, imitate me, which means we should look to anybody else around us who happens to be doing Christ-like things and imitate them. So you have Jesus teaching, and then you have his narrative model, as it were. You have the story of Jesus' life and the story of all sorts of people around us doing things that are Christ-like. And people around us aren't going to be entirely Christ-like, but they will do individual things that are Christ-like and that you're meant to treat them as a visual aid and make that part of your growth. And then you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's all talking about the same sort of person. Uh, they They don't jar against each other. They're different words, but it's really describing the same sort of character, same sort of person, same sort of value. Um, and uh, as you live those out I think we feel what we ought to feel uh, not perfectly because there's a huge disintegration in, our, in all of us uh, but we're more, more likely to have powerful feelings that are uh, that are appropriate to the situation as we have them so you don't sort of say uh, God saying Feel this, feel that, don't feel this, don't feel that. But certainly certain emotions of hatred are bad. Those emotions themselves are bad. They're fruit of bad attitudes and, and so on. So, so uh, yeah, I think that gets very complicated. You get into all sorts of different psychological models, obviously, too, uh, that, that, are, that, are, uh, um, uh, that impinge on, on uh, or, or that shape our Christian theology, depending on how we, how we, uh, how we see it. But that's a huge, a huge area that's very... As I said, I get over my head very fast there because you're in the deep water. Yeah, any other? Yes? So um, you talked to us about how, also one of your points was that emotions without some sort of responsible, appropriate action can be an aspect of this. But how do you propose 
that we deal with strong emotions pertaining to uh, situations that perhaps we can't do anything about, such as like incurable diseases or chronic uh, living and things of that nature. Yeah. What sort of response do you think would be an appropriate one? Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a very good uh, point, isn't it? Because it's not as if the, I'm, I'm ridiculing, I'm afraid, as the American model, fix it kind of thing. Uh, uh, here's a problem, here's the solution, go at it. Reality doesn't work that way. And, and uh, uh, sometimes there's, Sometimes, I don't want to say this as if it's a small thing, but sometimes prayer is the only thing you can do. And I, but I think prayer is something we can do, particularly when um, there's some incurable disease that, where everything has been done that can be done, or as far as we can tell. Uh, and, and, uh, and all sorts of things are way outside of our control. I mean, think of the evening news and the suffering that you see on the, on the evening news. For all practical purposes, it's out of most of our control. <clears throat> and uh, that raises the question of... I mean, C.S. Lewis, for example, said you shouldn't watch the evening news, or not that he had the television then, but, but, but in the same way. But you shouldn't just make yourself necessarily aware of all sorts of things about which you can do nothing. It just confuses you. And, and uh, why, why um, fill your head with all sorts of crises when you can't do anything about it anyway? Now, I'm not sure I would go that far. He's at Oxford Don, sitting inside the walls of, and then Cambridge, of a, a very sort of, uh, in, a, in a literature department where it's perhaps easier to do that than other things. But, but uh, uh, <laughs> he, for example, once said, someone talked about, uh, raised the issue of Tito, and he, he, he thought Tito was the king of Greece. And Tito, of course, had been the head of Yugoslavia. Uh, for umpteen years under communism, and so he was just really totally disconnected from current events. Is my point, and and uh, just spent no time worrying about them. But the, but there's something to what he's saying, because I think we can be news junkies and think we've got to be on top of everything. Well, why exactly? Uh, and so we can expose ourselves to all sorts of things that we can do nothing about. And just if it is just to spin our wheels, then it's. It's hard to know. I think if we, but, but sometimes prayer is the only thing we have uh, to do, and that, but that is something because we can talk to the one who can do something, and and uh, uh, but 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 again, you, you recognizing that here is a real problem. Here is something that's very serious that I would do something about it if I could, but at least I can pray, uh, and so your, your attitude can be not at all the sentimental thing I'm been after, but you're perfectly right. And I think maybe, you know, admitting that we can't do anything is necessary, uh, other than praying, is, is necessary as a as a start, just as as a realistic uh, admission. Yeah. Yeah. So you do a distinction between kitsch and real art. Um. This is very troublesome, so <laughs> that's why I make enemies very fast. Well, right. I may back out and run for the door any minute. So I was going to ask, um, I mean, when I think about art, you need all of its forms, literature, media, um, drama, whatever. I mean, in, in some ways, it, it really is if you're trying to capture the sentimentality of the cynicism. I mean, either you... Maybe, maybe if uh, kitsch is the sentimental art, then maybe the true art that exposes it is just being cynical. You know, and, and 
sort of showing the truth. Um, I mean, is it in some sense all art a race after feelings? And I, or if it isn't, is art in any way trying to affect the change, or is, is all art just sentiment? Yeah, whew, a lot of questions. Uh, <laughs>
Yeah, that's sort of the way I go. Here. Why don't we formally dismiss, and anyone wants to talk more, I can do it, but we've been sitting down for a long time, and so let people stand up. Yeah.